what up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Petalano, and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real estate. Thanks for joining the Cashflow Kings, and welcome to our new episode Stay at Home Mom Creates Side Hustle in Real Estate with Casey Frankini. Thank you so, so much for having me on, guys. I'm really excited. You guys already, the energy is already there. So Casey, we're excited to have you. I think you guys are going to find Casey's story incredible, how she leveraged a side hustle in order to develop a uh, five unit single family portfolio in Memphis, which is oh, a really wow. hot yeah. market. Um, so Casey, how, like share how you got started and, uh, and, and where you're headed currently. Sure. So I got started in real estate, you know, not too far out of college. Um, in 2007, I got my California real estate broker license. And, you know, I looked really young at the time. So it was really hard for me to, to find sellers um, with their $800,000 houses who, you know, wanted me to list it when I looked like I was 15. So um, I wasn't getting a lot of listings, but I found my niche with real estate investors because, you know, anyone... They'll, they'll have anyone help them find a property. They don't care how, old, how old you are yeah, or what you look like. You know, you could have like, you know, one arm and they'll be like, you can find me a property, you do it. <laughs> so um, so I found my niche finding properties um, all across Southern California. I would drive to the beach, to the desert, downtown LA, and I would find flips. Um, there weren't, you know, there weren't a lot of rental property opportunities out there in, so in SoCal. And so I was finding flips and I was just mesmerized by the money that these real estate investors had. I, I was just like, I mean, I know those rich people out there, blah, 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 but just to see it up close firsthand and the risks that they were taking, just like buying these houses cash, basically sight on scene based on what I said was just flooring me. And they were, you know, buying them all cash and they were putting, you know, a hundred thousand plus into them because these were nice expensive houses and flipping them. Um, for a million dollars or whatever. And I was just, it was just nuts. So I wanted to do that too, but obviously that's not something I could do at the time. And I didn't want to make flipping a job, you know, because it is a job. Um, I wanted passive income. I wanted rental properties, but I didn't know anyone, not one person that had a rental property. I knew my friend's grandma had 11 rental properties, but <laughs> that's all I knew. <laughs> So um, my husband and I, we barely got married around 2000, I was 11, 2012 maybe, and we tried making like 30, 40 offers on some rental, potential rentals in like Fontana, and they were, um, we, we just like never made the offers good enough to get accepted, you know what I mean? Like something was holding me back. We were encounter a few times, but I never, we never just took the plunge and did it. I was just scared, I think. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have anyone to help me. Um, and it was a big investment when you're young, you know, when you're in your 20s. So um, my husband got a job offer in Memphis, Tennessee. We moved out here in 2013 with my two-year-old and three-week-old and my cat. And I was like blown away by the housing prices. I mean, I knew that they were cheap because I'd done my research before we moved here. But oh my gosh, like houses were ridiculously cheap. I mean, you could buy a house under $100,000. You could buy a house under 50. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be like super rich. Like I'm, this is going to be like Monopoly. Every house I drive by, I'm going to buy, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, I realized that, well, I don't want all those like cheap houses because that's just not a good idea. No thanks. So um, we realized that we need to spend a little more money to get a quality house with a quality tenant that's going to cause us little headaches. And so um, we needed to save for that because we bought a major fixer upper. Matter of fact, it's eight years and we're just now doing the kitchen. Uh, this house was a piece. So let me, so, let me 
pause you right there in your story because I think that's really important, right? <clears throat> so there's like that risk barometer from uh, I'm risk loving. I can't think of like the other kind of risk averse. Risk averse. That's what I was yeah. looking for, right? <laughs> yeah, so you got those two sides of the spectrum. But I think Casey's analysis is really important in the sense of, well, this is really cheap, but in terms of the quality of tenant that we get for the return, maybe it's not worth it. And I think that's really important for investors to pay attention to upfront. Like not all investors can invest in C and D neighborhoods and have an, a level of success. Like most investors should probably stick to like C plus and better yeah, um, because it's going to, it's going to alleviate headaches, even though I would say C and D type properties can generate a better return. They come with more headaches. So choose your return based on the level of risk. That's they're, super they're a lot more work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. They're a lot more work, um, more issues, you know, high, higher tenant turnover. Um, yeah, there's potential for better cash flow, but I mean, really, when you add it all up, not really. I mean, I'm looking no. for right. long. Yeah, really, no. <laughs> I mean, on paper, initially, it looks great. But then when you realize your tenants just ditch you and they move out unexpectedly, um, you'll find out your air conditioner is stolen. Wait, wait, wait. That happens? That happens? (laughs) (laughs) Never. Yeah. Who steals the condenser outside? (laughs) Well, if you ever drive through a neighborhood and you see these metal cages bolted to, you know, these cement mini foundations, you'll know that they get stolen. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know. Pay attention to the signs. (laughs) I don't know what you guys are talking about. I thought real estate was all about HGT. TV, so you know, rainbows oh and butterflies. So many people are, you know, how do I do the bird method? And it's just going to be so easy. And I'm like, oh god, no. I mean, it's a great <laughs> method, but don't expect it to be a walk in the park. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Yeah. So but, you got you start diving in, you start analyzing those components. Yeah. Um, how did you how did you come up with the capital for your first uh, bird deal? So like I said, the house we bought to live in needed a lot of work and we, I didn't have a job. We moved here, I had a baby. I wasn't going to go get a job. And so my husband's like, well, if you want to buy a rental property or, you know, he was on board, but you know, you have to figure out how to make some money because we're spending all, all that we have, you know, on this house and we just moved here and everything. So I was like, all right, well, I was a little depressed, you know, being a mom, left my family and everything and I didn't know anybody here. So also I needed something that could help me to lift my spirits and give me some sense of worth besides just being a mom, you know, which is great, but you know, let's be real. People it's a lot of work. That. It's <laughs> a ton of work. A lot more than that for validation sometimes. I mean, I went to school too and got a degree. Like let's not sit at home eating bonbons, you know, yep. doing laundry a hundred times a day and folding little onesies for hours on end. So um, I decided that, well, what do I like to do? Because I didn't want to be a real estate agent again. And I thought, well, I love crafts. Like what girl doesn't like crafts? So I bought a Cricut machine or a silhouette sort of deal. If you guys are familiar with like, um, you know, those die cutting machines that can cut vinyl. And I started selling um, personalized items on Etsy and on Facebook marketplace and local Facebook groups. And I would sell stuff like bridesmaid hangers, bridesmaid t-shirts for all the bridesmaids. I would sell um, etched. I I made myself a homemade like um, etcher so I could etch glass and stainless steel. And I was doing pretty well at that. And about a year and a half later, I'd saved up almost 20,000. And we put that down for our first property. It's amazing. That's awesome. But so another important component of what you said is like, find something that you enjoy. I think too many people chase the money. And as cliche as it sounds, if you chase what you enjoy and what you're passionate about, the money will follow. So I I, I would just, uh, you know, harp on, follow that cliche because it is the truth because that's like 
if it's something that you enjoy and you're passionate about that your energy is going to be infectious, right? So that makes the sales process that much easier because you believe in what you're doing and, and, and that's paramount. Absolutely. I had a good time doing it and you should see all the craft stuff I have. My 10 year old daughter now has confiscated most of my stuff <laughs> <laughs> and her room is now turning into the craft room because she's got so much stuff in my room. Now I've kind of gotten away from the crafting stuff and do more real estate now. But that's how we got our first property. Is she her. taking over that family business or what? You know, I'm about to. I still have my Etsy shop up. It's it's uh, like on temporary vacation, but it's been like that for a couple of years. Um, but it's a five-star shop. So she definitely could hop in there and start making some sales. That'd be cool. That'd be yeah. cool. So Teach her to I, be an, an owner. Exactly. There you go. So once you stabilize the first one, are you self-managing? Like what, what does yeah. that look like? Yeah, we manage them all ourselves and it's like, well, why not? We're right here. The farthest one away is like 20 minutes. So why wouldn't I manage myself? Myself. Once you put in a quality tenant, you do good repairs up front, you know, to minimize maintenance. There's no work, hardly any work involved in managing your properties. Once you, you know, you buy a good property, get a good tenant, they pay, there's no problem. So I would- As long as you make them rent ready off the rip, right? Right. Provide that safe, comfortable place to live with things. Give up that 10%, you know, to a property management company because, I mean, gosh, I hardly do anything now for them. You know, they yep. just, I, I hear from them hardly ever. Yep. How many so units do you have now? Five? We have five, yeah. Mm -hmm. gotcha. awesome. I would say that when you get to that uh, 15 or so, that's even if it's single families, you get to the point, it's like, whoa, maybe it's worth it in order to, if you want to grow more. Yeah, I feel like at that point, I'm, I'm probably going to have so much money. I'm just going to be like, here's my 10%. Like, I'm over it. You know, you can, you know, go for it. And, and we used to even do all the repairs ourselves. And we still kind of do. Um, but now, you know, our income is pretty good with the rental properties. And so we feel a little bit rich in the fact that like, oh, we can send up this handyman to fix this. And we don't feel it, you know, we don't there feel like go. we have to, I don't have to send my husband out to fix stuff all the time because we also rehab all our own properties and do all the maintenance and we fix them all up ourselves. So it's been kind of nice now to send somebody else out to do little things here and there. It's awesome. So out of your, out of the five uh, rental properties that you own currently, is there a favorite project and maybe talk us through, you know, from acquisition to stabilization, what that looked like? So our, well, our favorite one um, was one that we basically did like a major rehab. We gutted the entire kitchen. We bought off the shelf cabinets at Home Depot, like the wooden ones that look like kind of the shaker. We painted them. We did this like Java gel stain. We put in new appliances. We put in new floors. We had the, the wood floors we finished in the rest of the house. We painted the walls. They were all nasty too. So we had to flatten them out with mud and re-sand and make the walls look a little flatter because they look kind of janky. And um, we did that and did some landscaping, um, did that all ourselves, took out trees, although I did have a tree guy come take some trees out. But that one was a lot of work because I just had a baby. We bought the property, you know, when I was pregnant and I remember I was eight months pregnant and I had a crowbar and I was ripping up flooring in the hall in the hallway and I was like someone's got to get a picture of this because I'm huge and I'm down on my knees with the crowbar and then so we had the baby and then you know we're still fixing the house up it took way longer than we thought because well we had a baby and I don't want my husband at the house like every day after work fixing it up you know I wanted him home I just had a baby so uh but I would take the baby and my toddler and we would you know, I would be breastfeeding on the hardwood floor in one room while he was like 
hammering in the bathroom or something like that. And that was to me the most memorable because it's like, look at the sacrifices we're making. Look at the hard work we're doing. Look at Blake, my husband, going to the house after his full-time job. You know, he shows up at six o'clock and he's there till 2 a.m., you know, working, comes home, goes to work the next day. We spend all our weekends there fixing up the property. So it sounds like a hard work and it was, but we loved it. And the property is worth so much more now. I think we bought this one for, well, I don't know, in the 70s, 70 something thousand, I think. And we could probably get 120 for it today. That's and amazing. we didn't even buy it that long ago, I guess. It was four years ago now about. Um, and it was just, it was a lot of love, a lot of hard work, but I'll tell you, we learned so much about rehabbing houses. Uh, we could probably do anything. <laughs> Honestly, I, I respect that trial by fire process, right? You guys yeah. got right in there. And I imagine that there were some YouTube videos for coaching along the way and some phone oh, calls. Oh, yeah, friends baby. And just YouTube trying to figure it out. Contractor helper, let me tell you. Absolutely. No, I, I seriously admire that. And honestly, you know, um, me having a little one at home myself, I value that process and, and showing them, right? Because really, you're building the legacy for them and your family. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we it's really would, uh, cool. We would take our, our car. I had like a, uh, GMC Envoy. We fold all the seats down and I, my mother-in-law and I would put my lawnmower in the back, put my blower in the back, put my edger in the back, all the yard bags. And I was the yard person and I would go there and, you know, do all the yard work. And I, I take her, she'd help me too. So I love come that. Come on, Marilyn, you do the edging and I'll do the mowing. And <laughs> we would clean up those properties and make them look good. Honestly, the curb, curb appeal is huge. Um, I have a client and he talks about how ugly buildings attract ugly tenants and not in the sense of what you look aesthetically. But I think that a lot of landlords overlook those small things. So like some of the things that we've been doing is one, paying more attention to landscaping, which sounds like you're, you're crushing that. Um, two is clean basements. And then three is clean hallways. Because you're going to think as you're a tenant and you're walking into that building, if the outside is clean and well-kept, then it doesn't have to be like crazy, like country club landscaping, just well-kept maybe a couple of flowers. And then you walk in the hallways are clean and well kept. That really sets the tone for when they walk into that unit. And that's going to drive your rate of return because they're going to pay that, that top of market rent. And they're probably going to stay for a long, long time because to be honest, there's a lot of slumlords out there that don't take care of their properties. Oh yeah. So, we always plant flowers, put mulch down, keep all the weeds. We add beautifully, uh, make sure there's no grass or weeds growing on any sidewalks or driveway cracks. And it looks really professional and nice when we're done with it. And yep. I don't rent anything out that I'm not proud to live in myself. We do quality 100%. work and make it look good because I want to attract the top tenant in the neighborhood. I don't want the worst tenant. I want the best tenant in the whole neighborhood. I want my house to be the best and I want the best tenant in there because they're going to want to stay if my house is the best and they won't want to leave. 100% killer mentality. There you go. So next question I have for you related to this. So where are you right now? You have five units. Are you looking for the sixth? Are you thinking about doing a flip? Are you doing something else in real estate right now? Where are you going? So uh, because of COVID last year and, you know, who's going to be president, what's up with the economy, blah, blah, blah. We didn't buy anything. We just started saving, 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 saving. And I thought, well, we might need to you know, hoard our cash. So we need to save up a lot. I thought we don't have to buy properties all cash. I wasn't sure if it's going to be a slow foreclosure. So we have a lot of cash saved. And Part of me also wanted to, with the eviction moratorium, maybe we should buy a couple short-term rentals um, because we wouldn't have that Great problem. Idea. And so, you know, I thought, well, how can I combine what I want, which is a lake house for vacation, into a short-term rental and make that a business? So we've been looking into lake houses in Arkansas 
to buy a short-term rentals, but, um, and also a beach condo, but I'm, unfortunately, I'm going to have to probably let that dream go at the moment because those won't cash flow um, for me. So still looking into the lake house, I've got my realtor out there and my short-term rental five-star Airbnb host guy that evaluates everything with his whatever crazy software he has. He's amazing. So we're always looking and I sent him one this morning that I really like. So um, hopefully we can get one of those. They cost more than, the, than my own house, <laughs> but um, they would make a good return. Um, and then I also have my Memphis agent looking for me to buy one or two more this year as well. So we need, we got some catching up to do and we're ready to go. So awesome. when you say your, your Memphis agent, so the five that you bought, were those all on MLS? Are you buying stuff uh, off MLS? They sure were all on the MLS. And, you know, for most of them, we, we, we got in contracts the, on a property we saw the first time we went out with our agent. I didn't go out multiple times and make tons of offers. Like a couple of them, we went out when I said, okay, I'm ready to start looking. He would show me five houses. I'd make an offer on one and I'd get it. <laughs> that happened I love a couple that. times. That's yeah. Like that's like the the movie The Patriot, where he talks about aim small, miss small, right? So you had your really defined strategy, you knew what you were looking for, you had the five properties, and then it's just line up. You, and you shoot. gotta make quick decisions. You can't, you know, Definitely. especially in today's market, you can't mull around and be like, well, let me go home and run the numbers for two days and ask everyone, my uncle and my aunt, what they think about this property. And then maybe <laughs> I'll tell my agent that I want more information before I make an offer. By then it was gone like a week ago. Yes, I mean, you, you have to know exactly what you want. And I get a lot of complaints from students that say, my agent, you know, sucks. My agent isn't giving me the kind of, um, you know, service that I'm expecting. And I go, I understand. I used to be an agent and I know sometimes, unfortunately, agents will just stitch up an MLS and forget about you. So I tell them, look, if you really want your real estate agent to find you something quick, you have to tell them exactly what you want. You can't say, I'll buy anything that cash flows because they're going to be like, okay, this guy doesn't know what he wants. Well, most you of them don't to... even know what cash flow is, right? Well, right, exactly. But yeah, yeah. I, you got to find an investor-friendly agent, hopefully one that works with a brokerage that buys and sells a lot of rental properties or investment properties or flips. You know, going with a residential real estate agent who just sells to homeowners is not going to be the way to go because that person has no idea. They're looking at the completely different things. You know, they're looking at what aspects do you want to live in? Look at this beautiful wraparound porch and oh, this pool's just been refinished. It's like, what? I don't want a pool. You know, I don't care about a porch. I don't want a fireplace either. You know, <laughs> it's like, I want a single story house. It's so simple. And I don't want a lot of weird things. And you know, how old are the capital expense items? How old is your conditioner? How old is right. your like, that's what I want to know. How much is this thing going to cost me? And I want an agent that understands how much it costs to fix things up. So at least they can, you know, a general idea. They don't have to be a contractor or excellent in rehab, but for them to be able to walk in the house and say, it's going to cost 10,000 to fix up. It's going to cost 20,000 to fix up. Like that's what I need to know. I shouldn't have to go to every single house and walk through it myself to evaluate how much it's going to cost. Having a great agent that understands rental properties, um, rental values in the neighborhood, all those sort of things will really cut out the fat and will make your search a lot easier and quicker um, if they are looking at it the way you are. Casey, I would agree with you. Sometimes uh, it's not just the agent's fault um, or you can't blame the agent. You got to get out there and hustle for yourself too, though. Uh, so no. for example, we just bought in a different market and I was told ahead of time, yeah, you can wait for the agent to contact you or you got to look and find it yourself. So we found one that was on MLS and uh, we told them about it, basically. Yeah, that's usually how it is for me. I'm the one that looks, you know, multiple times a day. 
and sends what I want to my agent. And then it's like, okay, can you call? When can you call? When can you call the other agent, the listing agent? Find out how many offers. When are they? Blah, blah, blah. Ask all the questions. Hurry up. <laughs> you know, that's amazing. So honestly, marrying all that together, we're talking about, I use the term speed kills, right? So marrying together what you guys are saying, like I have automatic alerts set up. So I saw a four unit fall out of contract last week. And I knew that a client was interested. And literally when I got the automatic alert, I called the agent a minute later and she's like, I literally just took that out of pending. What's going on? And I'm like, well, here's the offer. 330,000. We're going to close in 30 days. You know, um, conventional financing. Let's make it happen. Um, So I I think it's really important, one, to work with the right realtor. Like you guys are talking about, you have to do the due diligence on your own, but you got to pay attention to speed. Yeah. And I think what you said too is really key about pending. And I tell my students that, that, you know, in today's market, everyone's searching the actives. They're going to get a hundred views a day, 50, you know, showing the first week or, you know, the first day of the week. But so, okay, fine. Look at the actives, but the best strategy I found in today's market, if you want to be lazy in a way and buy off the MLS is go look at the pendings. People are, contracts are falling out of escrow or falling out of contract all the time just because one goes pending doesn't mean it's sold correct so keep an eye yep. on that and then Pay. think like 10 days out into the inspection period that's when it's going to go back on the market so just yep. before it goes back on the market you call the agent and say hey how's it going with that pending listing you know with the agent do you think they the, i mean the buyer is going to go through or do you think it might fall out of, fall out of contract and the agent might be like you know what yeah that buyer is falling out i'm actually putting it back on the market tomorrow or tonight or whatever. And you'd be like, you know what? Don't do that. Let me make an offer. And it'll save the agent time from having to put it back in the market, do more showings and all that. And you can slide right in with an offer and be the winner. All because you called on pending listings. Absolutely. There's a golden nugget. You'll be aggressive. Yep. Yeah, no, that's huge. That's huge. All right, so let's see. Here's some questions that we ask uh, all of our um, guests. Uh, First thing, if someone wants to become a better investor, what would you recommend? I mean, a, a better investor. Gosh, there's so many ways you could go with that. Um, we have nice open-ended questions. Here. That's very open. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of ways you become a better investor. Uh, one thing you could do is network in your investor group. Uh, I have found that joining my local real estate investor group has been one of the best things I ever did. I never read a real estate book in my life. Um, I never knew what Bigger Pockets was until like last year or something. And I did all this on my own. But since I have joined the investor network, um, my investor group, it has just opened up my eyes to like-minded people just like me. And I don't feel stupid talking to them about all the money I made because my friends down the street, my mom and my mom group, they look at me like you're, you know, you know, like, like I'm greedy or whatever. Like they don't want to hear about how much money I made. But all the investors are like, yeah, tell me how much money you made in that deal or how much you cash flowing on that property. Like they're happy for you. They're excited for you. And also those people, you know, provide deals. All those investors are people that are looking for off-market deals. You don't have to cold call all the time. Just go to your investor group because all those old guys that are cashing out right now because the market is higher, the highest it's ever going to be in their lifetime, they are cashing out. They're not putting their properties on the MLS. They're selling them to their friends. They're selling their rentals to their friends. And so be one of their friends, join those investor groups, go network, go to the meetings, show up to the early bird sessions or whatever, and make friends with older investors, because that's where you're going to get all those golden nuggets 
That's where you're going to learn the tricks of the trade. That's where you're going to learn those creative financing methods. And that's where you're going to get those off-market deals. So to me, if you're an investor trying to up your game, join an investor group. 100%. Uh, next question. By the way, I agree 100%. Uh, we say that all the time. Uh, what is one book that you have read lately that you consider a must read? Oh, geez. I know what book this is and it has nothing to do with real estate. But even it better. <laughs> it doesn't oh, have man. to be real estate. It's, uh, I think the guy's name is Joseph Murphy or something like that. It's about um, the subconscious mind. And to me, all of that stuff has been so fascinating. I didn't realize how much my dad was kind of into you know, it's the quantum physics and the quantum world and the universe and all this infinite intelligence and all this stuff. He always talked about that kind of thing, but I didn't realize how much he knew. So I started reading these books and learning more about it. And it has really opened up my eyes because you start to realize that you're not stuck in the position in your life because of outside forces, that you have the ability to change your circumstance. You have the ability to change your life. You can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want to be as long as you believe it to be true. This sounds so stupid. I know what I'm, I know how this is coming across. Nope. If you're you, you're speaking you, to a huge believer in the universe right here. So you're, yeah, you're good. You're I good. mean, I am like, you guys, I'm all about this. If you believe it and you feel it and you put out this vibration of wealth or success or whatever you want to be, you believe it, it will come true. And so it's all about changing your subconscious mind, your subconscious beliefs, because that, you know, is your identity and all those things. And to me, you know, that sort of book is life changing. You can go read real estate books, listen to YouTube videos, all that stuff. And, and if you never take any action on that, nothing's ever going to change for you. So if you yep. learn how to change, change your beliefs, change your habits, you know, change your identity, that's how you're going to change and be the person that you want to be. And I forget, it's called something subconscious. It's blue, no, you're right. It's the power of the perfect. subconscious mind. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. The power of the subconscious mind. That's the book. Nice. Good stuff. Yes. We, um, we have a lot of people that have the same mentality that are great guests. I mean, and uh, Jimmy is a, a member of the tribe too, we'll call it. Definitely. <laughs> I love it. Uh, last question. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, I laughed when you said you were a little younger when you were uh, first started as a real estate agent. But what I'm saying is that five or 10 years down the road, where do you see your business? Well, I see my business providing me enough passive income to where my husband doesn't have to work. He kind of already does it now, but... Um, we are risk averse and we like to be way on the comfort side before we make big changes like that. So, um, you know, with all the things that we have going on. So I say in the next five or 10 years, we're definitely not going to be, uh, working a nine to five. We're going to make money the way we choose to make money. And we will have investments in single family rental properties and maybe some other small businesses like coin off laundries or storage facilities, that sort of thing, just to vary it up a little bit. And also, I really want my beach house, I really want my lake house, and I really want an RV to travel the country with, with my kids during the summer. So to me, that's where I see myself, um, definitely with lots of properties and investments so that we don't have to work. Awesome. So Casey, we appreciate having you on. We appreciate you answering our crazy questions. Um, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get in touch? Sure. The, you guys can find me on Instagram at Brick by Brick Wealth. Also my website, brickbybrickwealth.com. And also feel free to email me. It's Casey at brickbybrickwealth.com. 
So guys, you heard it here. If you want to give Casey a follow on Instagram under the handle Brick by Brick Wealth. Um, in between podcast episodes, if you want to give us a follow under the handle The Cashflow Kings or check out our website, um, we do post daily Instagram content. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Cashflow Kings podcast. Cheers to your success. The Cashflow Kings program is for basic entertainment purposes only. We do not give official legal, tax, or investment advice.